Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tortoise. Hello, it's Claudia here, and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. To mark the new year, we want to bring you something a little bit different. Last year, we published a small book of stories, something that we at Tortoise call our quarterly. In the second of a special two-part series, we're sharing a story from the book. This week, it's Catherine Nixie on birth, motherhood, and the bits nobody seems to want to talk about. Vaginas are not the Bible's strong suit, which is odd in a way, as this is a book obsessed by birth. The Bible begins with a birth of sorts, of man. It abounds in begats. And it contains what is probably the most famous birth, if not the most famous scene of all, in Western literature, the birth of Jesus. But it is all notably light on vaginas. Or rather, the version of it that we happen to have is... As I approached the birth of my third child, this was very much on my mind. History is full of what-ifs. What if Hitler had won the Second World War? What if Napoleon hadn't been defeated at Waterloo? What if John had never met Yoko? To these well-known what-ifs, I would suggest that one more should be added. What if the book known as the Infancy Gospel of James had been included in the Bible? This is not, admittedly, a what-if that will stir many hearts. Most people haven't heard of this gospel today. Which is odd in a way, as in early Christianity it was immensely popular. But it wasn't one of those Gospels that made the final cut. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, yes. This one? No way. But if this Gospel had been accepted, it might have changed the way that we look not only at the Virgin Mary, but also at the entirety of womankind for the next 2,000 years. It would certainly have changed the way we look at vaginas. For unlike the better-known Gospels, which skipped discreetly over the birth of Jesus in a few brisk words. This one lingers. Mary feels the contractions begin. A midwife is sought and found. There is drama and delivery. And then comes one of the oddest scenes in religious literature. Because after the birth, an interfering woman turns up. Then, uninvited, inserts her hand into Mary's vagina. Whereupon Mary's violated vagina promptly burns the woman's hand to a crisp. Few women who have given birth could forbear to cheer. Mary, we are with you. As birth loomed, I thought of this scene often. Not just because uninvited hands were approaching for me too, though they were. 
I knew that before long I would almost certainly be in a hospital room and, if the last experiences were anything to go by, would soon be in the midst of unimaginable pain and inexcusable swearing. But the main reason I thought of it is because, in literary history, it is an awesome rarity. For it is not just the Bible that is light on vaginas and birth. It's pretty much the entirety of the Western canon. Little else in life is so poorly covered. Like Ecclesiastes, literature has time for everything under the heavens. Whatever the life event, books and poems are there for you. Literature teaches us how to suffer war and enjoy peace, how to endure pride and face prejudice, how to meet with disaster and defeat. It teaches us how to live and how to die. Who doesn't know that they shouldn't go gentle into that good night, but rage, rage against the dying of the light? But when it comes not to dying, but to giving birth? Silence. A great and resounding silence. We read to know that we are not alone, so the saying has it, but for childbirth and the odd, eerie, isolating days and months after, there is, or rather there was when I had my last child, nothing to read. And you will rarely feel so alone in your life. The Irish writer Anne Enright, one of the few who has written about this, once wondered why. Can mothers not hold a pen? I blame the Virgin Mary. Women can hold pens, but over the centuries, few have held with women writing about this. Men have shown little more zest for the topic. The sizzling virgin vagina is a rare aberration. Most biblical accounts bounce over the birth of Jesus swiftly, without detail, and certainly without vaginas. One might say, naturally, this is religious literature. It has no place for that sort of thing. Except it does. Or rather, it did. The Bible is full of penises, and not just in those endless discussions on circumcision. The Old Testament also contains, as the academic Francesca Stavrakopoulou points out in her book, veiled but detailed descriptions of God's own. It's massive, naturally. Other religious literature enjoys a nice vagina. Take this from a prayer of the ancient Sumerian goddess Inanna. My untilled land lies fallow. Who will plough my vulva? Who will plough my high field? Who will plough my wet ground? And so on. What a different tone would be struck by carols from kings if that popped up in one of the readings. It wouldn't just be carols from kings that would be changed. The whole of Western literature might have taken a different turn if the infancy gospel of James had been included in the Bible. The Bible was the word of God, and what was good enough for God was, on the whole, good enough for us. But the vagina, alas, was increasingly good enough for neither. Mary, already a virgin, became increasingly unsexed by later theologians. Not only, they argued, did she not have sex to produce Jesus. She never had sex afterwards, either. Ever. The female eunuch was born, and ever after there has been a hole in Western literature. Or, more to the point, there hasn't. This, I think, affects us still. Recently, someone asked me what giving birth was like, and to my horror, I realised I didn't know. I had by that point done it twice, I was about to do it again, and I couldn't describe it. I thought and thought after I was asked, and found it all but impossible to put into words. This, I believe, is because I have almost never read any other writer putting it into words either. It's not that there aren't books on birth, there are thousands of them, most with lettering in pink and baby blue. But these books are manuals, not literature. 
Literature and manuals fulfil entirely opposing functions. Manuals tell you about things you don't know in bad prose. Literature tells you about things you do in good. People think of writing as creative and inventive, but it isn't really. The best writers don't cook things up. They boil things down. They form the unformed thought so that we can hold and safely handle what is in our heads. We experience things more clearly after we've read good writing on them. Going into a church will always feel different once you've read Larkin's church going. Slough feels more slough-like after Betjeman. Christmas is more Christmassy once you've read Dickens. But there has been no Larkin of the Labour Ward. As a result, I was entirely unprepared for what such a ward might be like. This is absurd. If you had put me in the trenches of the First World War, I would have been appalled, but, I suspect, unsurprised. Primed by poetry, I would know what to expect. Mud, blood, terror. From Wilfred Owen's Dulce et Decorum Est, I would have expected the thick green light of a chlorine attack. From Siegfried Sassoon's Glory of Women, I would have known that injured soldiers were welcomed home more warmly if wounded in a mentionable place. Yet for childbirth, I was clueless. I'm not alone. Megan Stack, a war correspondent who was unfazed by reporting on terrorism but knocked sideways by childbirth, has written lucidly about this experience. In an interview, she said she really was unprepared for a lot of the things that happened that first year. Even the simple biological facts of pregnancy and delivery of the baby. Stack was an educated, intelligent woman, but to her this was all shocking. War is a star of stage and screen, garlanded with books, ceremonies, films, statues, poems, days of national celebration. Childbirth, on the other hand, which produces all those boys who are sent off to be slaughtered, gets almost nothing, barely a mention. Look up war in the Oxford Dictionary of Quotations and you will find 190 entries, ranging from Shakespeare, Let's Lip the Dogs of War, to the modern day. Childbirth, by contrast, has one sole solitary entry. It is outstripped not only by war, but also by cherries, which have nine entries, including American as cherry pie, and chickens, which have eight. What little literature does exist on birth itself is mainly medical and often antiquated, smelling of carbolic acid and, for some of the older terms, a whiff of condescension. A woman who loses her baby might find herself told that it is because she has an incompetent cervix. Women whose babies fail to put on weight, as one of mine did, find their children damned by the regency-sounding complaint of failure to thrive. Floral metaphors reward more successful women who might learn that their cervixes are ripening or they themselves are blooming. The tone of much else is one of artificial jollity. As you stand on the threshold of the nursery, you discover that linguistically you're in it already. Midwives chummily call you mum. Not a mum or the mum, just mum. An abrupt shearing of self that shocked me the first time it happened. The baby was not yet out, and already the me I knew, the Catherine I thought I was, had gone. Mum was there in her place. Childbirth isn't all glum. There is, on the bright side, gas and air. In hospitals, this mixture of nitrous oxide and oxygen is called entonox, which makes it sound suitably solemn and medical. It's not. It's marvellous. It is also one of the rare moments in childbirth that has a literary history. 
nitrous oxide was hugely in vogue among the Victorians, and William James, the psychologist and brother of Henry the novelist, described the experience of a man who used to take it. As Bertram Russell records in his History of Western Philosophy, whenever he was under its influence, he knew the secret of the universe, but when he came to, he had forgotten it. At last, with immense effort, he wrote down the secret before the vision had faded. When completely recovered, he rushed to see what he had written. It was, a smell of petroleum prevails throughout. It's a perfect description. When I was on gas air, I felt a similar omniscience. In the course of my labour, I shared my thoughts on everything from William James himself to the health service in Peru, Ropey, to the art on the walls of the hospital, even worse, with anyone who wanted to listen, and many who didn't. But on the whole, childbirth wasn't that much fun. For my first baby, I was put in a small wardroom with another woman. She was charming and friendly, and like me, she lay on her bed with her belly distended. She made gentle conversation with me between my trips to go and vomit in the toilet from the pain of my contractions. Is it your first? she asked. Yes, I said, before going back to the toilet as another one struck. What are you having? she asked when I returned. A boy, I said. And you? I asked when I came back. My baby is dead, she said. I'm waiting to give birth to it. I returned to vomiting in the toilet. Nor did I expect the pain. Before I gave birth, I spoke to an Irish Catholic woman who had had four children and not screamed in any of the births. Why would you scream, she said. Having done it, I would suggest a better question is, why wouldn't you? You swear if you stub your toe. If someone tore off your toe, an injury closer to the tearing of childbirth, you'd surely have something to say about it. To give you an idea of what must happen to your flesh, the average cervix before birth is narrower than the word cervix when written in an average newspaper font. The average baby's head, by contrast, is 35 centimetres in circumference. You can see that something is going to have to give, and it isn't the baby. During my second birth, I felt less that I was in pain than that I was pain. A dazzling column of pain with no me left. Yet absurdly, there is pressure, often from movements started by men, for women to endure all of this in silence and without pain relief, because birth is natural. So too is appendicitis, but there are fewer men calling for that to be endured in silence without pain relief. One friend, stoic, sensible, suffered PTSD after the birth of her first child. One experienced hair loss from the horror. Incontinence, at least for a short time, is routine. More severe incontinence is common. One friend came close to double incontinence. But unlike Sassoon's soldiers, these women have been wounded in unmentionable places. So they won't discuss their injuries, except with close friends. What new mother has not sat pale-faced with pain while relatives fuss round, unable to tell them all to go away, because to do so would be to admit publicly to not just having a vagina, but worse, that it hurts. Mere hours after the birth of Prince George, Kate Middleton stood on the steps of the window wing, bump deflating slightly under her baby blue dress. Her hair was perfect, her smile plucky. She didn't waddle or wince. Dulce et decorum. You could barely have guessed, to look at her, that she was the possessor of a new body that must already have seemed alien and ungovernable. A body that, like a carcass in an abattoir, has suddenly had the life that was in it torn out and that will drip blood wherever it goes for weeks. But things are, perhaps, changing. 
Meghan Markle, by appearing not hours but a defiant two days later, resolutely and charmingly unsoigné, made Kate look slightly absurd. An island of archaism in a rising tide of feminism. Poor Kate, by always doing the right thing, now seems to have done the wrong one. Others are chipping away at the Middleton method too. The actress Kira Knightley wrote an essay about childbirth that had little of the Lindo wing about it. My vagina split, she writes of the birth of her first child. I remember the shit, the vomit, the blood, the stitches. She too was struck by what Kate had to do. Hide, she wrote. Hide our pain. Our bodies splitting, our breasts leaking, our hormones raging. Look beautiful, look stylish. Don't show your battleground, Kate. Seven hours after your fight with life and death. Seven hours after your body breaks open and bloody screaming life comes out. Don't show. Don't tell. Stand there with your girl and be shot by a pack of male photographers. People like Knightley and Enright and Stack are starting to change these old attitudes. Writing about birth and child-rearing that is brave and unashamed and good is beginning to appear. Childbirth is still a topic without a literary history, without a past. But at least it is starting to gain a literary present, a presence. And when enough has been written, perhaps we will see fewer books adorned with baby-pink lettering. Fewer women made to stand on the steps of the Lindo wing and smile. Fewer people who believe the old lies. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What comes to mind when you think of Amber Heard? A liar? A survivor? A narcissist? The trial of Depp v. Heard was a global phenomenon, but I want to know... Was it a fair fight? I'm Alexi Mostris, the host of Sweet Bobby and Hoaxed. In my new podcast, I'm investigating whether Amber Heard was the victim of an organised trolling campaign. Just search for Who Trolled Amber wherever you get your podcasts. Tortoise. 
in my new podcast, I'm investigating whether Amber Heard was the victim of an organised trolling campaign. Just search for Who Trolled Amber wherever you get your podcasts.